Welcome to Flower Hour. Did you watch the wedding? Oh, I thought you were just doing that to introduce me. (laughs) Yes, of course I did. And it's so funny. Everybody talked about, you know, getting up early to watch. I have little kids. There was no getting up early to watch. We were just up and I thought, hey, there's a wedding on TV. Let's. So did you watch watch. it live? I sure did. I sure did. Gemma was glued. Jack, he didn't care, but yeah. Yeah, we were about (laughs) eight hours behind. (laughs) Yeah, so So I mean, California, like you would have to get up at like 3 a.m. to watch, right? Yeah, yeah. And thankfully, so my British in-laws are here. And so they had it on BBC iPlayer or something. So we could control it and pause it. But we definitely started when we, we felt ready for it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wasn't it beautiful? Did you love the whole affair? Yeah. So it's been Jonathan's birthday weekend. So we did this whole tea ceremony. No, tea ceremony. That's Japanese. But like a tea party. (laughs) (laughs) And so I got to watch a little bit of it while we were having tea and mimosas and some some snacks. And then I was in the kitchen prepping for Jonathan's dinner. But I could hear the music and everyone else was watching. And I thought, wow, this sounds beautiful. And the photos I've seen since are just gorgeous. Stunning. Like, so stunning. And I I mean, I've always liked Harry with his wild nature and just kind of a rule breaker that really appeals to me. So it's fun to see him. He looked so happy. And yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was all so romantic and wonderful. Oh, absolutely. But who cares about the dress or anything else? What did you think of that cake? I loved it. I don't think I could have been any happier. I'm a huge fan of um, Violet Bakery and Claire Pitak and her whole team. Everything they post up on Instagram, I'm always just reeling with the beauty. Uh, So for me, I don't think it could have been any better. What did you think? Absolutely loved it. Like it gives me goosebumps. It was so fresh, modern, classic, elegant. Like, I mean, it suited the whole, if you think about kind of what they went for and their choices and what they were trying to do with this wedding, it felt like it reflected that in the most brilliant way. I felt, I totally agree. Like all the stuff. And I thought it was really cool how it was very unique and different, you know, not this very classic tiered cake. Uh, I've looked back at pictures of Kate and William's cake and it's so classic and very regal, very Royal and totally suits them. And I love that. And this cake I feel like is very different and represents the couple so nicely, but also they did so many like thoughtful nods with the cake of the flowers from the queen's garden and the elderflower. I think it was cordial or liqueur that they used uh, I think are they from the Queen's Trees. If yeah, I read. I read that. Yep. So all these really nice nods to the monarchy and the and the heritage and the culture, which I think is really cool because I didn't get this like feeling from any part of the wedding that it was like, oh, we're going to be fresh and new and different and disrespectful. It all felt like fresh and new and different while being very respectful. Nothing was abrasive or harsh, which I think is really cool. And Claire's an American, right? Claire is an American. Yeah. I mean, how perfect is that? And she's running a British bakery. 
And then this whole union is an American and a British um, person. So it's like, it was perfect. Totally meant to be. Totally meant to be. Um, Okay, so cake people, if you've been hovering around on Instagram, you've heard probably a lot of great things about the cake and a lot of like, uh, you know, not everybody's going to love everything. But I feel like I cannot let this topic move on without... Just saying like a couple quick things, if you don't mind, Jeremiah. Yeah. So I haven't seen the comments. What are people saying about this cake? Well, some people don't love it. Um, I saw someone say that, you know, clearly the baker isn't used to stacking cakes and at the last minute wasn't able to make a tiered cake and had to toss it on stands, which I think is uh, completely disrespectful. Um, and I saw a lot of people say if they did rough frosting like that, they would have been fired from their bakery job, which maybe in certain bakeries, that's the case. But I have followed Claire and her cakes and all of her baking for quite a while. And this was no accident. It was completely in her vein and her style. And I have a, you know, pretty strong confidence that that's what the couple wanted. That's why they asked her to make the cake. And so I'm sure they're totally pleased because when I saw it, I was like, this is such a Violet's Bakery cake that, or Violet Bakery. Am I being one of those people who puts the S on the end of everything? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was just, it was exactly how, I felt like it should be. And I think that it's a good lesson for everyone too, that just because something, I don't, I don't mind someone saying it's not their style. Not everything's going to be someone's cup of tea, but to act like someone did a poor job is it's just uncalled for. I don't like it. I think to say like, Oh, it's not my style expected something more classic. I'm totally cool with that. But for somebody to say, you know, really disparaging things, I think is just straight up rude. And also now I'm going to get a little petty myself and right as I'm scolding people for being rude. (laughs) If you look up hashtag wedding cake on Instagram and poke around, you will see cakes with rough style frosting with flowers and things like this. And they do not have the je ne sais quoi of that cake. That cake is spectacular. And a lot of people said, oh, I could have made the royal wedding cake. And I'm just going to be, like I said, maybe I'm being a little rude myself, but I'm going to say, did you? Did you make the royal wedding cake? Why don't you give it a swing? Make one single tier of it and see if it has that same effortless chic quality because that doesn't come without a lot of practice and a lot of cake making that led up to that. Um, it's, it's not as easy to pull off a casual, uh, frosting job that shows the movement of the baker. I think kind of similar to brushstrokes in a painting. Yes, It's not as easy as you first think. And I've been there too. For sure. I used to think, oh, I'll just messy frost this cake and it's going to be awesome. And sometimes it just looked like garbage, you know, but yeah. this cake did not look like that. I mean, it was it's really special. And, and I'm serious. If you think, oh, I could do it. I hope that inspires you to go try because if you can, fantastic. And if you can't, it still gets you in your kitchen and your baking, which is awesome. So if you think, oh, I could do that, I say, give it a go. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. The way she finished that movement of the icing on each cake was so elegant. That impressed me so much because I'd never seen one do that 
someone do it in just that way. Um, and like you said, the show, the motion to do a textured cake is very, very difficult and it looks effortless. And that's why people think oh, I can do it, but it is, it takes a lot of skill, a lot of forethought into where you're going with your smoothing comb or whatever you're using. And the texture of your buttercream has to be perfect. You really, it's not something, I mean, she, if you read, it took her five days to do, I think one, one cake with her and her team. So, I mean, that takes time. They were very large cakes too, which is kind of hard to see. I think it's very hard to tell the scale of the cake in the picture, but they were big Mondo cakes, which just from before you even decorate perspective, just the baking of very large tiers, you know, it's, it's a chore it's and to get it properly baked is really an achievement and the flowers also the flowers from the queen's garden. I think I read, maybe, you know, but I think I read it was, uh, I want to say 150 flowers or something like that. Oh, wow. It takes a lot of thought to carefully place those to properly frame the movement of the frosting and the flow of the flowers. If you look at it, it was so artfully done. I mean, they were not haphazardly dumped onto these cakes, each one hand placed in a very thoughtful place. So yeah, there's my cake rant people. (laughs) It's okay and, if you don't like it. Just don't be nasty. <laughs> and people have been using cake stands like that for, for decades. That's nothing new. And I thought it was special that it came from the Royal Archives of you know their collection of things. And it was a very special way to incorporate the history, as we've talked about with the flowers and the elderflower, in a more um, physical way. Yeah, very cool. I had not heard that about the cake stands. I was wondering, I knew there had to be some kind of significance, yeah. but that's really cool. Really, really cool. I think we'll be seeing a lot of these cakes uh, Oh yeah, throughout the rest of the year and, and maybe for a couple of years, but yay for texture. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. I was so inspired. All right. Inspiration. Yeah. Well, what have you been doing in your kitchen? What have I been doing? Uh, can I even remember? Well, I made some uh, patashu puffs and I topped it with a turmeric cracklin and filled it with chai pastry cream. What? Just let That's your brain a- wrap around yeah. that for a second. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to tell you, they tasted a lot like pumpkin pie. So I'm going to practice this recipe Ooh. more, but I think I'm going to do it more towards the fall because the... The spice of the chai tastes so much like pumpkin pie spice to me often. And then something about the earthiness of the turmeric almost mimicked pumpkin. And I thought this is like the perfect fall puff. So I'm going to revisit them probably later this year. It's a little hot right now. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds so, so much fun. Those flavors together and the beautiful turmeric color of the crackling must have been Amazing. It was really pretty. And, you know, I'm on this dye-free kick trying to be very mindful, not necessarily 100% dye-free, but very mindful. And turmeric has such great natural color that it was really fun to play with that. One quick tip, because I haven't worked with Cracklin in a while. I used to do it on all my puffs, and then I kind of got out of the habit. And then um, who was it? Was it Jen that we had on? that pastry with Jen, she was talking about doing it. And so it kind of got back into my head again. And 
but I hadn't done it in a while and I rolled it too thick. So it inhibited some of the puffing of the pastry. So there's just a little technical tip. Anybody who's listening, if you do crackling, roll it a little thinner than you think you need to, because you still want that majestic puffing, but you just want the crackling to kind of be a thin layer over top, not a big, you know, unwieldy cookie sitting on top like I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great tip because you think, oh, I want a lot of that. It's really special. But yeah, you've got to be careful of the balance. Well, I'm going to remember that tip because I've never done crackling. Oh, you must. You're going to be totally hooked. I'm going to task you with that. Like I need to see some (laughs) crackling come out of your... Your kitchen, and I'm probably not even saying it right. It's probably like crackling or something, but you know, it's it looks like crackling when I read it. So, it's, and it's cracking. <laughs> it cracks. So okay. Well, what's going on in your kitchen? What's what's crackling in your kitchen? <laughs> So it was Jonathan's birthday this weekend, and I was really excited to do his birthday cake as I am every year. And he had this great idea to make a mousse cake based on the flavors of Tartine Bakery in San Francisco's banana cream pie. And it is such a good banana cream pie. It's It doesn't stray too far from the classic, but it's a really, really nice flaky pastry shell. And then that shell is brushed with chocolate so that it hardens and is really crispy. And then there's a layer of caramel and then your pastry cream with fresh bananas and then whipped cream and chocolate shavings. It's, it's to die for. So what I did is I um, baked off some really nice flaky pastry flat on a baking tray. And when it came out of the oven, I trimmed it to the size of my, the cakes I was going to make. And then I coated both sides with tempered dark chocolate so that it would ensure a really crisp pastry and you've got that that same sort of textural element. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I thought, won't it go soggy in the mousse? But you thought of this. No soggy bottoms. (laughs) (laughs) On top of that, I put my favorite caramel cake recipe and it's an Azorian style caramel cake where you make caramel and you whip it into the cake batter. And um, it is sensational, sensational. So there was a layer of that. And then on top of that went a banana mousse, um, which I stabilized with white chocolate and gelatin. And on then on top of that, once that it's set, I put fresh bananas. And then a layer of white chocolate and vanilla bean mousse. And the vanilla beans were from Reunion, Reunion Island, which our, one of our friends is from. And he always brings me back these sensational vanilla beans that are... are um, he, he tells me that they're, they're ripened longer than vanilla beans from like Madagascar and they're aged and um, just treated with a lot of artisanal respect. So anyway, that's so special. How wonderful. Right. Yeah. But what I did was I made one, I made two, two of these mousse cakes. One was square and the other one was round. And then I stacked them. I've always wanted to try stacking (sighs) mousse cakes. So cool. Right. And because I didn't, I tempered the chocolate on the pastry. I didn't have to use a cake board to support the the next layer of cake. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It handled yeah. it like it, it is its own cake board. Okay. Yeah. So I put the straws in as you would, or you could use dowels, of course, put the next layer on. And then it was, it was so cool. But here's what I did with the garnish. And if you followed me on Instagram and my stories, I told you I was going to try this. And I did. If you've seen Chef's Table, the episode, I think it's episode two or three, where um, the Spanish pastry chef, forgive me, I don't remember his name, but he takes a sugar syrup 
and he dips a ring mold into it and he takes a hairdryer and he makes these bubbles and these shattering sugar crystals. And I was like, I have to try that, but I'm going to do it with caramel because I think that would reflect the cake and um, just be a ton of fun. So I got it to work. Are you serious? Yes. I don't know. How did I miss this in your stories? Oh my gosh. Is it still up? Because I'm going to have to go well, look at it. I haven't put the, I don't think I took any pictures of the me actually doing it, but I just talked about that I would have okay. doing it. Okay. Oh, and I haven't posted pictures of the cake yet. So you'll see what I was able to do, which, um, but I'll tell you, if you do it, you've got to, well, first of all, the ring mold gets super hot. So you've got to hold it with a pair of um, tongs. Okay. And then, Need some forearm strength because you're going to be gripping that thing like so hard <laughs> to keep it from falling into your vat of caramel. Um, and I, I like pouring the caramel into a glass, um, like a glass measuring cup because that helps keep the caramel warmer a little longer, a little more fluid. But the thing is you kind of, you so you dip the ring mold in and you keep doing it until you get the caramel to the right consistency. You know, as it cools, there's kind of that window. Because really, just, really hot, it's going to be far too loose, right? Yeah. yeah. Just like sponge sugar, you've got to get to that point. Okay, so you dip it in and then I was using the hairdryer the wrong way and it would sometimes do something, but then it would get stuck in the ring mold. So how can I explain this? If you're holding... I was blowing towards my tongs. Okay. So through, the ring mold, tor- through the ring mold towards my tongs, towards my hand. And that wasn't working. So then I did it the opposite way. So I blew uh, away from or, or in the same direction as the tongs, the end of the tongs. Okay. And it created a balloon, like a bubble, just like, just <sighs> like you would expect. Okay, so if you, I have really, really cheap um, hair dryers. It was only like high and low. But if you have one with cool air, that would be perfect because as I took the hair dryer away, well, the crystals hadn't set, so it, the the balloon would deflate. Oh, so, I can see so this. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I would have to just kind of slowly take the hair dryer away so that the the caramel could set. Um, so it was fun. I got one really kind of cool balloon shape that I was able to keep. And the rest, I got like these great shatterings and kind of cool stuff. I did it over a silpat. Um, you know, and I didn't have a lot of time to play with it. If like I had a few hours, it would be really fun to take, you know, to see what more, more what you could come up with. Um, it was fun. It was just like being a kid, right? It was just playful and exciting. And then here's a tip, uh, for storing caramel, uh, garnishes is put them in an airtight container and and save some of those silica gel packs that you that come in like freeze dried fruit or um, sometimes seaweed packs and stick that in there and it'll keep it nice and dry until you're ready to garnish your cake. So and, smart. That's a great tip. So yeah. so smart. Okay, I cannot wait to see these pictures because I feel like I don't know. I'm so curious now. And what a fun <laughs> experience! Like you said, just probably felt like a kid just playing. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. (laughs) How awesome. Well, happy birthday to Jonathan. And it sounds like you had a spectacular dessert to celebrate with. (laughs) It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. We all enjoyed it. Well, should we get our guests? Yeah, we have two more guests today. Isn't that fun? I love when we have the four, four people talking. Well, we have four today though. Hmm. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. So actually, there's just going to be two of us. Well, how will that work? So 
you guys may or may not know, but this is our season finale. So we thought, why not have our two favorite people on (laughs) (laughs) for the finale? And it's none other than Jeremiah. And Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) I've been looking forward to this for months. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to ask you some questions and hear your thoughts and kind of reminisce about our first season and share some behind the scenes stuff. I think it's going to be really fun. I like we should just dig right in. Yeah. I mean, usually we have to say, let's go get them, but (laughs) we're here. Let's get them. Here we are. Okay, so welcome to Flower Hour, Jeremiah. <laughs> I've been dying wow, to my, ask you. My first time on a podcast. Don't, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. I'm very <laughs> nice. I've been dying to ask you, how did you first get started baking? Where did it all begin for you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to ask you this too. Wow. So... Not like my mom who started at two and a half with a miniature rolling pin. I love that story, by the way. Um, It really started in... Well, I mean, I can trace my love of sweets down to my my, my birth, basically, probably. Um, But I started baking during my undergraduate studies in San Francisco. And this is the early 2000s. And like many Portuguese families, we are bread obsessed. It's I, I think bread is a religion in our ho- household. <laughs> and that was the first thing that I really wanted to start baker- baking. And of course, at that time, Tartine had just opened and their bread was causing this crazy sensation. And of course, being in San Francisco, sourdough is the king of the king of breads. So you're always around good bread and Acme bread. That's an amazing bread company in, in the Bay Area. So I started baking bread and I fell in love. And that city just has a way of making you a foodie. Um, And then that branched out to more sort of baked things. Um, And then cakes started to come out and tarts. And I was like, wow, this is something that I really love. It's so creative. And it sends you on these adventures you know, I got to visit different markets and being in, in San Francisco, I lived in the Sunset District and there were all these amazing Asian markets that also would have like Middle Eastern ingredients and things from all over the world. Um, but then as you travel through the city, there's just all kinds of specialty places to go. And the Ferry Building, the Ferry Building Market, which is now world famous, had just started. That was in its infancy. The farmer market culture was just beginning to become a popular. It was just the the birth of this whole scene in the city, I feel like. Um, so it was just the right time to start being falling in love with food because as a child, I was a vegetarian who didn't eat vegetables. Oh, wow. Like literally I ate bread, cheese, desserts, and sometimes fruit, you know, and I would go on and off with certain types of fruit, which I was just a picky little, little thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's where I fell in love with food and where I fell in love with baking. Oh, I'm dying to hear. What about you? It's such a beautiful story. I love imagining you there in this wonderful food culture, just like falling in love. It feels like San Francisco is such a great place to fall in love in general and to fall in so love true. with baking and food in that way is a really special, I don't know, like I think a very romantic way to it was. go it for really it. Was. 
Um, for me, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I'm not like your mom with my little tiny rolling pen. And I'm the same as you. I love that image of her. I've thought about that so much since our podcast with our moms, just like your mom with this little teeny tiny rolling pen being so cute. But, uh, you know, I baked like anybody growing up occasionally run through the kitchen and my mom's like, oh, you can throw the sugar in here, carefully pour it in the bowl. You know, I did that, but it was not my thing until, well, let me, let me say food has been my thing probably forever. Like I love to eat as much as anybody I've ever encountered. I love all different culture type food, culture-based recipes. I love sweets. I love savory. I'm not a huge meat eater, but in general, I just really, really, really love food. And it's weird. Like looking back, I feel like it's guided a lot of my choices. Like I met my husband while I was a flight attendant. And I think that probably why I wanted to travel and be a flight attendant is because I wanted to eat everywhere, (laughs) which is, you know, kind of a strange thing, but it's, it's, Travel to me is eating food and seeing art. So that was always really important to me. And then we moved quite a bit um, independently myself. And then after being with Chris, we moved a lot and everywhere we went and, and lived, it was all about the food. And then when we decided to start a family, we were living in the DC area, which is super expensive and my husband is a pilot. He travels a lot. I'm saying this like you don't know, but for our listeners, um, yeah, of course, I, yeah, I know that you know, but he's gone quite a bit. And so we kind of decided for our family, the best way to start a family would be for me to stay at home. So we moved to rural Virginia where he could still get to the airport he was based at, but we could afford a place without me working. And we were surrounded by these wonderful farms and we could pick cherries and we could go to vineyards. It was great. But what was lacking was great baked goods. And so if I wanted an eclair, I could either drive, you know, an hour, maybe an hour and a half to get one, or I could just make it. And it had never really occurred to me before that you could make so many things at home. It just wasn't, I mean, you heard my mom, like we're very like box cake mix and frozen pie crust kind of people. So all of a sudden I was like, I could actually make a pie crust a lot faster than I could drive to a grocery store. And so I started making all of these things and it really connected with me. I never, um, I never really saw baking as, well, I mean, I saw it as an art, but I just didn't see it as an art form for me. And I felt like I had been hunting for a really long time for a medium that I could connect with. And in a little house in the woods in Virginia, I found my medium. I was like, baking is it. Like, this is the creative outlet I've been looking for, for basically my whole life. Um, I was always trying different things and, and that's how it started. And I just... I went wild. I was baking way more than we could eat. <laughs> Just baking like crazy. And I really haven't stopped. And that was about, you know, my daughter's five. So that was about six years ago. Wow. That's also <laughs> really romantic story. This image, image of you in this little home learning to bake and 
through all these things. That's sweet of you to say it's romantic. I think it sounds like a completely crazy woman, like in the woods, just going bananas, making, I was like making all this weird stuff that people don't make at home and for no one. And just, just because I had this compulsion to make. So maybe it's romantic or just really weird. (laughs) I guess for me, I'm a very compulsive, obsessive person. And I've grown up in the arts. Both of my grandmothers are visual artists. And then I I danced a lot as a kid. And then I, when I got into music, I was hooked. And so whenever I choose to do something, I think like you as well, I just go for it like full force. And so that's very romantic to me. Uh, Maybe other people see us to be like, Oh, they're crazy. But (laughs) it's like when you fall in love with something, I just give it, we give it our all. And I, I, I think that's romantic. It's so true. (laughs) And like I said, I found something that I'd been looking for. I went to school for college. I went to school for studio art and I found myself, I always thought I was going to be an artist growing up, but when I found myself in the classrooms drawing and doing the projects, it just didn't feel right to me. And it kind of broke my heart for a really long time. I just felt like this is who I was supposed to be. And it's not going the way I planned and it's not fitting the way I thought it would fit. And I felt so lost. And so when I found that, it just... It, it was, it was very compulsive and very in love and very, I guess, yeah, you're making me see it now in a more romantic way, but it was, it was a very passionate love affair. <laughs> yeah, no, gosh, I relate to that too, because I thought for sure I'd end up as the principal flute player or any flute player in a professional orchestra or some sort of career that would be completely revolving around music Um and the fact that now it revolves well, still a lot around music, but a lot more around food is not what I expected, but I, um, I absolutely love it. And I think that's important, I think, for young people to know that your life, we're, we're asked at such a young age to decide on what we should be and what we think we'll, we'll love for the rest of our life. But it's kind of unfair because we change as we grow up. And I think it's important to be okay with things changing, directions changing, and not to hold on to certain dreams too tightly. Um, You've got to be flexible and enjoy the adventure and know that you can do many things with lots of love and lots of joy. And I can see how baking relates to this artistic side of, of both of us. And I would love to ask you, could you reflect on the growth and the manifestation of your creativity through the years? So for me watching you, I met you at the show and seeing your creativity there. And then after the show, I remember you telling me, I think I'm going to do a coffee sort of focus thing with pastries. And then, so I saw that kind of thing happening on your Instagram and then all of a sudden cakes started happening. And then there were certain types that then the cakes have been evolving and evolving and evolving. (laughs) Like, wow. So I would love for you to reflect on that as almost like um, out, if you could kind of step outside of yourself and that and that sort of journey that you've had and are having. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very tender process to me. So I'll try not to cry because typically when I talk about it, I do. Um, 
Well, so going back to the house in the woods where I was baking a ton and it was very compulsive, I think a big part of compulsive behavior is sometimes it's not conscious behavior. You're just doing it because right. it feels good. You don't know why. You and You need it. You need it and, you, and you're just doing it. And I didn't, as much as it felt good and things were feeling right at that point, I don't think I realized that this was my creative outlet. I didn't realize that this was kind of my artwork. Um, but uh, it was definitely already fulfilling that need for me. And the show though, is where that became conscious. Like that's the feedback from the judges and some of the words that they used. It was the first time that I like saw myself as an artist, you know, not like the way that I thought that I would be as a child. It was the first time that I was like, Oh, maybe this is it. Like maybe this is, is part of who I am, not just something that I'm doing for a few years. Um, and so from there, that was very impactful to make something that was kind of compulsive, compulsive, suddenly conscious. I started approaching it in a different way after the show. Cause I thought, okay, if this is my art, then I don't need to always just follow the recipes. What I think that artists are tasked with thinking about things differently and kind of challenging the status quo and, um, and hopefully by being raw and honest themselves, it hopefully encourages other people to do the same thing and to accept themselves. And to me, that's what art does for me. And that's, that's why baking is important for me to share is beyond just the people who can eat it is to hopefully let people know that it's okay to do things in quote unquote the wrong way, because maybe it will become their right way. And it's an experience and it's part of accepting yourself and, and life and all of that. And so I think for me, just that is the biggest part of the process that I think has changed is going from compulsive to more conscious creation, if that makes sense. And challenging myself too. I mean, you have the same on your profile. We both put our profiles as artists because I felt like for me that I felt a little weird about it. I thought, I don't know what to title myself. I'm not a blogger. I'm not a public figure. Like I looked at what other bakers have put and I'm like, I don't see myself as these things. And I really wanted to put artist. And then I'm like, is that arrogant? I don't know. And Finally, I just put it there as a challenge to myself because I thought as long as I see that there, it's going to cause me to continue approaching this in a certain way and conducting myself in a certain way. So hopefully that kind of answers your question a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's wow. Yeah, you brought tears to my eyes too, just seeing that through through your eyes. And I remember being on the show and when you started to garnish things in a certain way, I was like, I, I mean, I'm First of all, I love studying artists. Like it's been a part of my whole life. I think looking at other artists and musicians to figure out like how did they get from a point A to point B. And so I started looking at you in that same way. And and like I remember when you did the bar cookies and you sprinkled, I think it was pistachios and freeze dried cherries, fruit. yeah. And it's like thin line in a certain angle over the white like goat cheese frosting and I was like, "Oh, she's on to something. There's like <laughs> something there's something there." And then when you did your mousse cake and it was so elegant and then you took this spray gold spray paint, and you did this big stripe down the center. I'm like, "Oh god, she's she's got a vision." You know, like this is so cool. Um 
And then your finale was like, it was a perfect finale, the way you sculpted your cakes and the, the garnishes and the touches. I was So to see that, and then that was just the beginning for me as a viewer. And then to watch, you know, your cakes evolve over time, it's just been a total joy. And I know so many people feel the same way I do. It's really nice of you to say, and it's funny to hear from your perspective in the tent, like when we were getting to know each other, because it had to have been either the first or like in the first five sentences, I said to my husband after the first bake in the tent, the first time I got to talk to him was, Jeremiah is a true artist. Like I was totally spying on you and doing the same thing, just taking in your, your personal style. Like I felt like it was more than just recipes for you. There's definitely a lot of personal style and I'm, and I'm talking about you, but definitely the other bakers in the tent I have to throw out there. I, I was completely mesmerized with, all the different takes and twists. I mean, we had the same recipe briefs and I was so amazed to see how differently we all approached the same recipe. Yeah. Like you'd think you'd give 10 people a recipe and, and you know, five of them would do the same thing. One person would be kind of weird and the other handful would be somewhere, you know, but it was like 10 people tasked with one thing and we just went in 10 different directions, which was fun to see. And, yeah, yeah, I knew you were an artist straight away when I saw one of the ones that stands out to me is the first showstopper, your tree cake, <laughs> which you laugh. And if you guys saw it, it, you know, was somewhat of a toppling tree, but all of the different elements and the colors and the just the way it all went together, it was not something that someone who didn't care about the presentation could have ever dreamed up. I mean, it was really, really special and very inspiring and very intimidating. I was like, Oh shoot, I got to get out of here. This dude is going to make me look like a fool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're too kind. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I want to know because of the, the artistry that we're talking about here, I felt like you came to the tent when I met you, you were already extremely artistic with your bakes. Was that an element for you from the get go with baking or was it something that also evolved? Definitely evolved. I really favored um, rustic baking at the beginning and I think it was a direct response and this is nothing at all personal to my mom, but my mom, as you know, if you listen to her mother's day episode, did these really, really ornate um, cakes with tons of piping, tons of roses and string work. I mean, all the, every type of shell, reverse shell, I mean, all the technical cake piping stuff she did. And I, I loved it. I loved watching her do it. And it was kind of like, you know, some kids are like this. We're like, well, I love what my parent did, but I need to do the opposite, you know, in a, in a, some way. Like that's and, like, her I'm, thing. I'm going to do my yeah. thing. Kind of. Yeah. And it was nothing at all personal to her. It was just that kind of feeling like I want to explore something I've never, I haven't seen in my own home, that kind of thing. And I know I could have gone home and say, let's spend the day you teach me how to pipe. And I never did that. And it was kind of, and now I, and now I'm going to go do that actually. Cause it's stupid that, you know, she has a lot of skills there I can learn. Um, and, so, and it would be a great way to spend the day with my mom. Um, so I, yeah, I favored these sort of rustic bakes and things that were a bit more cultural, meaning like I just wanted to taste things from other cultures. Like not just Portuguese, I, just all over right. whatever was interesting. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. And 
And then, but then, like you said, like I grew up with a lot, like my grandmother's, I mean, my early life was like crafting and painting and going outside and collecting things and sculpting and always doing something creative. Um, and so that had to start manifesting in the baking and it, it slowly did. By the time I was going to school in New York city, um, I would make birthday cakes for people. And I was like, I would do like little stacked cakes and I would try to decorate them with fresh fruit or fresh flowers. And, um, I did my first big wedding cake for my best friend, Brittany. And, um, just decorating it with, we did all fresh flowers and I just had the best time arranging them on the cake and being creative. And so, yeah, it was this slow development. And then like we've said before, I've said before on the podcast, the show really forced me or inspired me to no force because you had to garnish these things, right? Like before I just be like, Oh, it's fine. You know, I can, don't have to garnish you can skip things. that part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People are going to be so happy to have a, a freshly baked something, you know? And the show really forced me to think about that. And I had to start using that side of myself, which I'd kind of been maybe, I guess you could say lazy about really. And I'm so happy it did because like you, I saw you change your status to artist, And I'm like, I've never felt comfortable with the options that Instagram or Facebook gives you to, to find yourself as a, a business. And I thought, well, that's if I'm not a musician, solely a musician anymore, Right, because so many of your posts, you hate to have musician if so many of your posts are baking. Yeah. Right. What am I? And I'm like, well, what connects all the things I've done in my life is art and being, and it is, I mean, that's what drove me to music is the art, the artist, the art, the artistic expression. That's, I guess the, the bottom line of my life is to express myself artistically and creatively. That's that if I had to boil my whole existence down, it would be to that. So now that that's, become part of baking in a real way is makes it more meaningful, more special, more, I'm more obsessed than I was before. I think that's awesome. I do wish Instagram would let us have like human as (laughs) our label. I always go and check. I'm like, have they updated it? Could I just change mine to human? Cause I feel like, you know, I don't know. I, I like the straightforwardness of it, but yeah. Okay. So a little less uh, intense. I kind of want to know from you. I've been curious to ask you this for a little while. It's just very like silly, but if you had an off day and you weren't recipe testing for your book, yeah. you baking for a friend, an event, an occasion, but you just wanted to bake like for yourself, something that you're going to eat. So not just from an artistic place, but just something like, what would you bake for yourself? Just to eat, just for fun. And for fun, yeah, the joy of making it. So, uh, okay, I've got to do savory and I've got to do sweet. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, my mind goes straight to some sort of sponge cake, fruit, fresh fruit, mo- mostly berries or stone fruit, fresh, 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 and cream in some form, whether it's pastry cream, whipped cream, but those three things together are just, I'm a summer. I was born in the summer. I am a child of the summer. Like if I could live in an eternal summer, it, I would flip flops and a tank top. Um, no pants. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there would be pants, but those, those, that, those scream summer to me. And, um, so that's, yeah, some version of that. 
I've also been making a lot of Swedish princess cakes, which involve that, those elements. So that's probably a lot on my mind. Um, and the savory side would have to be some sort of just perfect sourdough bread, naturally leavened and slathered with, you know, like really, oh God, I just had a really great food memory. When I lived in New York City, I got turned on to this, um, onto raw dairy. And now raw dairy is illegal in New York State. But there's this weird loophole where the Amish people will bring it in from Pennsylvania. And if you, as long as you order it online and then they deliver it to you in Manhattan, it's this weird loophole that it's okay. So I would buy these tubs of raw cultured Amish butter. And people, you have never tasted butter until you've tasted something like this. It is like almost like eating cheese. And then you get, you know, gorgeous, thick, flake, salt, sea salt. And you spread that on like, you know, the best sourdough you can think of and it's just oh heaven 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 so that's that those are i think the things i would i would go to would you cut the loaf would you cut the loaf before it cooled oh gosh back then and no i wouldn't no and even now i mean that's kind of the the best food memories i have with my my religious bread food family (laughs) is that We'd bake bread together and cut it immediately and start slathering it with butter while it's steaming. And I know that goes against all of the bread baking rules. Like, you know, you need to have the the structure gelatinized and it needs to cool. You need to wait like at least an hour and all this stuff. And yes, 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 yes. You'll get more nuances. (laughs) But But there's nothing like fresh, hot bread slathered in melting butter and sea salt. Like, come on. I'm so, so with yeah. you. Yeah. And no slicing. Let's just rip at it. You know? Right. Just grab a big hunk in your hand and tear it apart. Burn your fingertips. and It's part of the experience. Yes. I don't bake bread much anymore. Um, I'll probably get back into it when I pull back on cakes or something, but I normally would bake two loaves because of that. Cause I'm like, well, I need one to yeah. like, manimal tear into and then I need another one that's the proper way and I'll let it cool and crackle and do its whole thing but because I can't resist like warm bread are you kidding me so did you guys do this too like my mom and I would go grocery shopping and I was little and we'd always buy probably a loaf of some sort of rustic french bread and we would like pick at it the whole way home like would sit (laughs) in the front seat with this bread between us and just that would always a ritual I loved that that's so awesome no I didn't do that but maybe I should with my kids I'll get a loaf and pass it around the car but you can literally see the grocery store from our house so there's not a lot of snacking on the ride home (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny oh my gosh well I love your picks of fun things to what about you um just purely for me. So something kind of weird. Um, I, I know we talk about the show a lot, but it was just so impactful before the show. I had never made a Pavlova. And so I practiced, practiced, practiced for that. And it was something just so different from anything I had had. And I always thought of meringues as diet food before, just cause I just felt like that's the only time I ever saw anybody eat meringues was if they were on a fat-free diet, but to slather it in whipped cream and then to be able to add these other flavors or pastry cream or whatever, you know, however you want to do it, it was kind of a revelation for me. And so 
One thing I love about pavlova is so much too, I like to make the mini ones and they're so forgiving in a similar way to cupcakes where if you screw one up, which how do you really screw it up anyway? I mean, it's just components piled on top. Right. Um, but you really can't go wrong. And sometimes I, I naturally go in a perfectionist direction and I've really tried to use baking as a place where I embrace nature and embrace catastrophes and, and kind of chill out a little bit. At times I've gone in a perfectionist direction with it. And then I go, no, Amanda, this is your happy place. Don't turn it into your crazy place. And pavlovas are definitely that. So for just like a fun, happy day bake, I would make myself a pavlova. Mm. And, you know, that brings up a one thing I've learned from you and love about you, and I think it's so fresh and forward-looking in a special way, is that I remember one of your Instagram posts, you posted whatever you had baked on a cookie sheet that had been used and loved for I don't know how long. And I would always be like, oh, gosh, I've got to hide all those cookie sheets. I need to go buy one that's perfectly clean just for photos for Instagram. <laughs> And here you put it out there and it was, and it was beautiful. Like you have a way of showing realness in a really artistic way that makes, I mean, it makes you start thinking about where's that pan been? What is it seen? You know, and that's a story and that's what I love about food. And I think why yes. we even do this podcast are the stories. And then the way that manifested in your, in the way you ice the cakes. And that also reminds me of, you know, the Royal wedding cake, like, you know, the, everyone wants these smooth, sharp edges. And all of a sudden you were like, I'm not going to clean off the top edge. I remember <laughs> that first time you did that. And I was like, holy shit, that looks amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, so, it's weird. It's just, I mean, you can take baking in so many different directions and, and make it be your medicine almost in, in the different ways that you need it to be. Okay. Yeah. What's your least favorite thing to bake though? Like, is there something that if somebody's like, Jeremiah, will you make me some? And you're like, oh, God, not that. Is there anything? God, I got to think. You know, I don't bake a lot of cookies. And it's something that I'm really inspired to start baking. And I will be this summer. And I'll tell you why a bit later. Um, because we've been, I've been so inspired by our uh, the episodes that we, bakers we've had and their cookie recipes. But. I don't know why I, I, I guess I wouldn't roll my eye or be like, oh, if they asked me to bake cookies, but maybe out of everything it would be. Cause I, 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 I yeah, maybe it would be cookies. But it sounds Weird, like right? you don't have true hate for them. So that's good. No. Yeah. No, no true hates. Do you have any true hates? Hates. That's a weird word. Yeah. I mean, I knew we would go back and forth with these questions. And, and for me, there's one thing that I truly hate to make and when I first started the cake business, I made two of them because people asked for them. And I felt, you know, any customer service job I ever had, I always was like a just say yes person. I worked for Nordstrom. That's one of their right. mottos is just say yes. And so at first I kind of felt like if somebody asks for it, if I have the skill to do it, I need to say yes. And now I won't do it anymore, but it's red velvet cake. I just don't like it. I The amount of red dye that goes in there makes me feel like morally bad. <laughs> and, you know, if you're a baker and you do that and you feel good about it, keep doing what you're doing and people love red velvet cake. But for me, it feels wrong. And 
I just cringed and I'm like, I can't make things that make me feel like I wouldn't want my kids to eat this. I can't do it. So red velvet cake. I'm like, please don't ask me to make your red velvet cake. Cream cheese frosting on a chocolate cake. Yes. All day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember too. Like that was weird. I I think I was still living in New York and I started experimenting with using beets and other things as again, like dumping that whole bottle into the, it was frightening. Mm -hmm. Just frightening and it's funny i love that this food diet thing has come up for us because i mean i won't buy anything with food diet in it like for my everyday life but then some part of my brain sort of shuts off when it comes to baking i'm like well i you have to isn't that strange because i'm so the same yeah so strange but then like i would never i mean even like hot sauce or something if it says oh red number whatever number i'm like nope not buying that hot sauce yeah and then but here i'm like dumping it into whatever icing or marzipan to, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. So I'm glad we, you've brought this up and it's definitely something I'm thinking about. more. It's a challenge. Like I said, I'm not like completely dye free at this point or anything. And I don't know if I'm going to convert to all natural dyes. Like it's a work in progress, you know, I have not figured it out, but definitely red velvet cake pushes, pushes me buttons. So yeah. Well, tell me about some of your inspirations because you do a lot of really, really fun custom flavors. Um, and you can even talk about design too, if you like, but where do you, how do you get your inspirations? Let's talk about flavors. I feel like I'm always talking about the visual and most of the yeah. visual for me, most, not all, but comes from the flavors. So the flavors are way Ooh. more important than I think I would have guessed that for. Yeah. It really, it starts with the flavors. I would say 90% of the time, um, with flavors, inspiration. So sometimes it's just straight from my brain. Sometimes it's, you know, it just pops in my head when I'm laying in bed and I type it in my phone, but a lot of times, and it's something really fun that I hope somebody listening will try because it's just really fun is, I'll come up with a recipe that I want to make. It could be something simple like chocolate cake. And then from there, I just start looking in my cabinets. Like recently I made the balsamic ganache and it was just because I was thinking like, how could I flavor this? Could I put a different liqueur in here? What could I do? And then I just started rummaging around in my cabinet where I keep our alcohol that doesn't need to be refrigerated, but it's also where we keep the vinegar. And I saw the vinegar and I thought, could that work? And then I thought, eh, not apple cider vinegar. That sounds really unappealing. <laughs> and then I realized my brother had given me this really nice balsamic vinegar from some place I can't think of right now, but I had tasted it and had this really nice kind of floral, very almost like a cherry type quality. And I thought, the brownies are chocolate and cherry. I could put a balsamic vinegar ganache on there. So in my own pantry. So I think if you're making like a chocolate cake, you could just go to your cabinet and go, what else could I add in here? Like, and then you see cayenne pepper and you think, huh, Mexican hot chocolate cake, maybe, you know, and then you look at your yeah. fruit bowl and you think, could orange go in there? Well, you know, we've talked a lot about chocolate and lemons. So you see the lemons, right. and you go, well, maybe, could that work? I don't know. And then you start smelling stuff and that's great. And then another place for inspiration for me, I think I may have mentioned on here, but is the tea aisle at the grocery store. There's so many cool blends of teas, 
where you go, oh, ginger. Oh, those cupcakes I made recently that came from kombucha because there's this GT's kombucha flavor that's ginger berry and it tastes very blueberry. I don't know what berries are actually in there, but it tastes like ginger and blueberries. And I thought this should be a cake. So tea, kombucha, other desserts, like you can totally spy if you're going to make a cake, search up, you don't even have to leave your, leave your house, search up donuts and see like, oh, what interesting donuts are out there or candy bars. Candy bars are really inspiring. I don't know. Sometimes I even pick my kids' brains. I'll go throw out two flavors and <laughs> like just to see if they can come up with two random things. And then I'll try to think about even if they don't go together, like how could I make this work? And it's, it's just so fun. So yeah, there's some random thoughts. What about you? Where do you come up with your flavors? I read a lot of cookbooks. And as you know, I've got a big collection that's always growing. Um, I think it's a fun way just to see what other people are up to. And some of the like chefier ones, the ones that I might ne- not necessarily bake out of, but it's fun to see what they're up to. Like Pierre Hermé, I have both of his macaron books. And I think macarons are kind of like candy bars, but you know, the French of the sure. French, of France. Of the <laughs> um, wild stuff. Like there's like green olive and vanilla, like there's re- foie gras and fig, like really out there things. Um, and like his raspberry and rose and lychee thing that's famous now, but right. he, he created that. And I, that's the, I love that combo so much. Um, so yeah, a lot of reading also restaurants, like when I'm out, like checking out what other people are up to. And again, sometimes it just strikes you. You're in the kitchen and you're looking at, well, olive oil, Ooh, olive oil and chocolate. I, Oh, in San Francisco, I had ice cream that was, they drenched in olive oil and they put some sea salt on it and there was some chocolate in there. Like, Oh, that all go. Oh, then little, Oh, some kumquats. Let's get some. <laughs> like, yeah. Also too, this is weird. I know you'll relate to this, but I think of flavors like music. And of course in music, you have a balance of like, you know, a, in the sound itself, like in a, a proper sound, like sign, sign, sound wave of an instrument or something like there's the base of the sound, the, the, the center of the sound and the high pitch frequencies. And so I'm tasting something and I'm like, it doesn't have enough of like treble or the top, the top ends, the heights. I'm like, it needs something bright. Mm-hmm. You know? So I go for a citrus flavor or I'm always like, this needs something more like a bass note. It's so I'm thinking like it needs something richer or it needs something more bitter or more fat or something like that. And so I definitely see things in a musical way or in when it comes to flavors. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way, but in, you know, in my own way, that's a very similar approach. Yeah. Where I'm always thinking uh, before that book came out, the salt, fat, acid, heat, yeah. I think it is, or what is it? Salt, fat, yeah. acid. Is it heat? Is the last one? I don't know. Oh, I want to say yes. Okay. Well, I, I wish I could remember exactly, but anyway, I, I think about that a lot. Like, does it, I try to question every recipe. Like, is it sweet enough? Does it need more salt? Does it need more acid? Does it need more fat? And then I kind of added my own category too of like surprise, because I think that sometimes like, like I mentioned cayenne pepper that doesn't really come in with the salt, fat or acid, you know, and, and sweet. Oh, that's what it is. Like salt, fat, sugar. I don't know how anyway, but yeah. So then there's also like the surprise where it's just yeah. like the little extra. And then 
the same, I'm sure you do this with texture too, is go, is there something crunchy? Is there something smooth? If there's not something crunchy, is it because you want this to be a full smooth experience or thinking about those things? Oh, it's so fun to think about, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, I think this is why we're we're obsessed with this medium is it's, it's endless. Totally. Oh, and I left out one inspiration that, you know, very well at all random hours, you'll get a text from me and go, does this sound right, Jeremiah? What do you think about this combo? So <laughs> you are a flavor inspiration oh. as well. Cause without your Dang. ears, there's a lot of stuff that wouldn't get made. Cause I have to funnel oh. it through you first. <laughs> oh gosh yeah that goes both ways and especially for me with with design you've inspired me to try things and learn I've learned so much from you what would we do without each other man I don't even want to think (laughs) about it um okay so we ask a lot of people this question and I'm curious of you what recipes do you have that are available that you think I really would love for people to make this. It's very special and needs to be seen. My answer and the remainder of the episode will be continued next week.